Aren't you glad that no matter what diagnosis a doctor gives you, it's less than the name of Jesus? The name of Jesus is greater than anything you'll ever face, anything you'll ever go through, any diagnosis, any problem. There is nothing greater than Jesus. There is no one greater than Jesus. There's no problem Jesus can't fix. There's no obstacle too big for Jesus. There's no problem he's so unaware of or so unable to fix that he can't help you. Man, I, I'm just excited about Jesus. I know what can Jesus can do next to alcoholism, next to drug addiction or whatever. He'll set you free and just like that. <laughs> It doesn't have to be a, a road of many months, of many years of recovery. It can happen in, a, in the twinkling of an eye. Amen? The rapture one day is going to happen in the twinkling of an eye, and your freedom can happen in the twinkling of an eye. I want to just encourage you on the online campus. Jesus is in the house. Amen. Glory to God. I'm a, I'm a, I actually was, got fired up about Easter service this week, and I, so I finished my Easter message for the first Sunday in April and it's the start of a series on Jesus. And you're going to love it. There's no other name greater than to preach on than the name of Jesus. You know what I discovered? When you preach on Jesus, he shows up. And when he shows up, miracles happen. Salvations happen. Breakthrough happens. Glory to God. Glory to God. In God good. Amen, amen, amen. Well, um... Next week, I'll give you a, a little a hint. I'm, I'm going to, uh, next week's going to be kind of a half and half deal. I'm going to be preaching, uh, believe it or not, on what I believe COVID-19 is tied to, the, the pandemic itself. And then I'm going to slide into um, what does the Bible have to say about capital punishment. How many of you are enjoying, are you enjoying the, cat, the what does the Bible have to say about series? I, I've been so excited to learn. Today is, um, what does the Bible have to say about life? Everybody say life. life. Um, and the title of the message is simply, Life is Sacred. Everybody say, Life is Sacred. So we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about this. In a setting like this, I expect most people are aware of some of this, but I, I, I feel very compelled to tell you that, um, and I want you to catch this very closely. This is not just a message that's going to concern abortion. Um, the, the, the killing of a baby in a womb is heinous, but it leads to something even more detrimental and more devastating in culture. And, and so we're going to talk about what does the Bible have to say about life? Everybody say life. Everybody say life is sacred. Do you believe that? Let me say it another way. All life is sacred. Amen. If you will stand to your feet for the reading of God's word, you can go to YouVersion or YouVersion Notes, and, uh, and you can pull those up, and you can go back and save them. They're on YouVersion. If you are unfamiliar with YouVersion, you'd like some help with that after service, we can do that for you. Uh, version is great. I read my Bible every day on YouVersion. Sometimes if I wake up in the middle of the night praying, I, I read my Bible in the middle of the night and, and on my phone. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful tool. So, uh, life is sacred. We're going to go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. Are you all ready for the Word of God today? Yeah. Do you love the Word of God? Yeah. Isn't it great? 
It's like, like Jeremiah said, man, I, your words, I just ate them. Hallelujah. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16 uh, reads this. You'll see it on the screen behind me. And if you're at home, you'll see it on your screen. Welcome to our online campus, by the way. Greg, Heather, how you doing? Uh, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Well, I, this is such a powerful message, play, uh, section right here. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. In other words, God saw you before you were even created. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It's God's blueprint. It's a beautiful blueprint for your life before your daddy's sperm connected with your mama's egg. You're beautifully and wonderfully created. You need to quit looking in the mirror and calling yourself ugly or fat or whatever. You are perfect the way God created you to be. You need to see yourself the way God does. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. amen. Father, thank you so very much for your word. Thank you for the beautiful time in worship. Oh, what a reminder of how a great Savior you are to us. And that if death couldn't hold you, it won't hold us. I pray, Father, that you would anoint me to speak forth your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. I pray, Father God, you would just uh, anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. God, anoint our heart to receive, anoint our eyes to see. God, let not one word of my own come out of my mouth, but every word straight from the throne of God into our hearts. And in Jesus' name, God. We pray, Father God, let this seed fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have, and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body. To receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. Look, look to three or four people and say life is sacred. I like what Ronald Reagan once said. It occurred to me that everyone who's for abortion had already been born. Interesting. Webster, I told you from time to time, and maybe for a little while longer, I'm going to continue to show you the difference in dictionaries. Webster's Dictionary, the 1988 edition, the word abortion is defined as the spontaneous or induced expulsion from the womb of a, listen to the wording here, non-viable human fetus. The dictionary is defining it as a non-viable human fetus. Interesting secondary definition, a monstrous person or thing, uh, the failure of a project or attempt. So then I went to my 1828 dictionary, which is originally how Noah Webster defined it, and the word abortion means something very different. Basically, he's defining a miscarriage, the act of miscarrying or producing young before the natural time or before the fetus is perfectly formed. In a figurative sense, any fruit or produce that does not come to maturity or anything which fails in its progress, 
before it is matured or perfect as a design or project. The fetus brought forth before it is perfectly formed. You know, in 1828, they didn't have abortions like what we call them today. And so he's basically defining something as a miscarriage, so to speak. In fact, that's one of the words he puts as a synonym. And then, and the uh, appalling to me, the 1988 definition, non-viable human fetus. So let's see what God has to say about that. But before I get into that, you have to know that abortions and the value of young is nothing new to society today than what it was in the past. In ancient Rome, children were the property of their father. If the father didn't want the child anymore, the father could put the child outside and just leave it to die out in the streets. It, the children were seen as nothing more than property, and if they were undesirable in the father's eyes, they were out. As a matter of fact, Carthage was a city-state that rivaled Rome in its day. You've probably heard the battles between the Romans and the Carthaginians. Well, what you may not know about Carthaginians and the Carthage, Carthage is that archaeologists have unearthed sacrifices from the Carthaginian um, lands and cities that they once had. And they found that things had changed over the years. When Carthage was a young city being built, animals were what they sacrificed. They needed children to grow and help build their civilization, build their buildings, build their city. But something changed in what they unearthed, something changed in what they saw and the sacrifices of the Carthaginians in time, in that they began to sacrifice children. And the reason was because once the cities were built and the towns were built and animals were getting sacrificed, they were running low on food, they were short on space. So they decided to flip the value system. They began to sacrifice children because animals were at a premium, because they needed it for food. And then, you know, after all, let's just uh, exterminate all of the children. We'll have more space. And so while their children became a possession to be sacrificed, they started sacrificing their children and they started exalting animals. Today we're not much different. Today a person destroys a baby in the womb, no crime, no foul, just go home, no problem. Now if you destroy an eagle egg today... Uh, and these are accurate as of today, I, 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 or uh, this week rather, I, I looked all these up. If you destroy an eagle egg, it's a $5,000 fine, one year in prison. Second offense, $10,000 fine, two years in prison, a maximum of $250,000 fine, and two years in prison. Now it's interesting to me, because according to authorities, an unborn eagle is an eagle. But an unborn human baby... Is not an unborn, is not a human baby. Destroy a sea turtle egg today and you get a $5,000 fine and five years in prison because, according to authorities, an unborn sea turtle egg is a sea turtle. But an unborn human baby is not a human baby. Anybody seeing a problem with this? See, we're like the Carthaginians now. We are now a society that values animals over humans. In China, there are more abortions than anywhere else. And you're allowed one baby over there. And the reason they do that, many of them, is if they have a girl or it is a girl, they abort that baby because they want a boy to carry on their name. Many of them, not all. So I looked up. You can go to the numberofabortions.com. It's a worldwide site. As of today's date, 2 21 
At 2 p.m. today, the numbers are already growing stronger. There have been 62,623,400 abortions since Roe v. Wade in 1973 in the United States alone. We've, we have killed 62 million babies in this country since 1973. In the world since 1980, 1,605,589,368 babies. And you have to do it at a split second because the numbers in the world clock go so fast, it's more than one per second. Folks, we have aborted and murdered one and a half billion babies off this earth since 1973. Pro-life activists released a series of undercover videos showing their covert discussions with Planned Parenthood officials. Here are just a few of the comments made. I, I wouldn't even subject you to all of them, but just here's a couple of what I consider to be very deplorable comments. Dr. Deborah Nukatola, Planned Parenthood's Senior Director for Medical Services, told actors posing as organ traffickers, quote-unquote, we've been very good at getting heart, lung, liver, because we know that, so I'm not going to crush that part. I'm going to basically crush below. I'm going to crush above. I'm going to see if I can get it all intact. That's her view of unborn babies. Holly O'Donnell, former STEM Express technician who harvested the parts from the aborted babies at Planned Parenthood Clinic, said, quote-unquote, we were asked to procure certain tissues like brain, liver, thymus, pancreas, heart, lungs, pretty much anything on the fetus. STEM Express is a company that hires procurement techs to draw blood and dissect dead fetuses and sell the parts to researchers. Now, pro-choice activists will try and say that it's a fetus and not a baby and it doesn't have a life yet. But if a coroner determines if a person is absolutely dead by the absence of brain waves, then shouldn't the converse be true as well? That the presence of brain waves proves life? I'm just asking. Pro-choice activists will try and tell you it's okay to kill unborn babies because they're not alive yet. However, I found in Massachusetts one mother was charged with murder and manslaughter at the death of her nine-year-old daughter and unborn son. She went crazy one day, took a knife, stabbed her nine-year-old death to death, little girl to death, then took the knife and stabbed herself in the stomach, killing her unborn son. Now, she was charged for murder and manslaughter not just for the nine-year-old girl, but also for the unborn son. I don't know, but it seems to me if she can be charged for the murder of her nine, uh, unborn son in the womb, why can't everyone else? Pro-choice activists will say it's my body, but what about the baby's body? Imagine an aborted baby in heaven looking at God saying, how could she do that to me? After all, it's my body. Someone say a good amen. The results have been devastating to people as individuals and as a nation. Women who have had abortions will tell you the horrors they have for many years to come. I don't know. I didn't look this up. I didn't think about it till now. But I remember coming across an article somewhere. It was either Roe or Wade. I can't remember which one was the woman. Maybe some of you may know. But she, uh, she before... It wasn't long after that decision, she came out publicly and said, what a terrible mistake that it was to do that. 
So basically, while you're at work tomorrow, 4,000 more innocent people will be submitted to capital punishment, although they will have no trial before they are executed. Not only will they not be granted the basic rights of a prisoner of war, they will not be treated humanely. Terrorists will treat their people better than many of these people that are going to die tomorrow. As a matter of fact, these four or 4,000 people tomorrow will not be afforded the basic anesthetics that every veterinarian in the world will give to an animal. They will die a torturous death. They'll be ripped apart by forceps. They'll be induced with toxins. They'll be burned to death by chemicals to the tune of 4,000 human beings per day. So what does God have to say about it? What does God have to say about life and about abortion? And I know this is a heavy message, but do we want to know what the Bible has to say? Point number one, life is sacred because it was created by God. Everybody say it was created by God. The Holy Spirit is the Lord or the Spirit of life. Look what Job 33 and 4 says. Let's just see what God says. For the Spirit of God has what? Made me. Folks, you are not a mistake. You are not just so happened somewhere along the way. You are not some blob that just showed up somehow. Some All these other crazy theories. Uh-uh. You were made by the Spirit of God. Watch this. And the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Romans 8, 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives what? Folks, if God withdrew the Holy Spirit totally from your life, it's not that you'd be lost, it's that you'd be dead. You want me to prove that to you? Job 34, 14 through 15. Watch this. If God were to take back his spirit and withdraw his breath, all life would cease and humanity would turn again to dust. The Holy Spirit is directly involved in connecting the sperm to the egg. And as soon as they do, he is in that child from the very conception. Life doesn't begin when they take their first breath of air. Life begins the minute that egg connects to that sperm. Life begins at conception according to God and his word. That's why if you're young and you are still in the baby making ages and you are on birth control, I highly recommend you study what birth control you're on because some birth control destroys a a, a, a sperm that is already connected to an egg. And so in, in, in biblical definitions, you've just destroyed a person. Get some that doesn't allow it to connect at all. Amen? Is it okay? I really care about y'all. I, I teach this because I really care, and I want to make sure we are living by the Bible. Is that all right? Y'all still want a pastor that wants to teach the Word and wants to try to make sure we know at least and have real knowledge? Genesis 1, 27, so God created mankind in his what? His own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Look to your neighbor and say, you were created. Watch this, Colossians 1, 16. For by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We were created for God. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Someone say amen. So watch this. Because God gave us life and he created life, we have no right to end that life on our own. This includes abortion, euthanasia, murder, and suicide. When one person murders someone else or takes their own life, they are putting themselves in the place and seat of God and saying, I'll be God of this situation. That's a dangerous place to be, folks. They are becoming their own God. They are taking life out of his hands and they are putting it in their own. So what happens when someone is pregnant with a child? The experts look and they'll say, uh, there's a problem with your baby. Your baby's going to be less than perfect. We really want to encourage you. Eliminate that baby. Don't make the chance. Well, first of all, most of the time, that stuff doesn't happen. Second of all, the mother doesn't have the right to do that. Or when an elderly person has been partially incapacitated by illness, some will advocate, well, just exterminate them. They have no quality of life. Take them out. Folks, when God is good and ready to take life, he'll do it on his own time and his own terms. We shall not play the hand of God. Somebody say amen. Here's the deal. Life is sacred, listen, no matter what condition it is in. I'm going to say that again. According to the Bible, life is sacred no matter what condition that it's in. Whether it's wanted or not, whether it's deformed or not, whether it's diseased or not, I want to tell you, Jesus didn't shrug those types of people away. No, he placed great value on those whom society had shuffled aside. Oh, the lepers that he would allow to touch him and he would heal them. I'm talking about people like blind Bartimaeus that they said, shut up, leave Jesus alone. Jesus said, no, y'all be still. I'm going to heal this man of his blindness. I'm talking about the lame man at the pool of Bethesda that nobody would help out. The blind man at the pool of Siloam. I could just go on and on and on. The woman caught in the act of adultery that they were ready to stone and leave for dead. Man, I'm preaching to somebody, the outcast, the people that were deformed, the people that had problems in society, that society said, do away with them, there's no value. Jesus said, those are the ones I'm going to heal. Those are the ones I'm going to give miracles to. Those are the ones that I'm going to reach out to. I want to tell you, all life is sacred to Jesus. Woo! He didn't just die for the pretty or the handsome or the good looking or those that have it all together or those that are well. He died for everyone. Francis Schaeffer, the 20th century prophet and intellectual, warned in the 70s when abortions started to get legalized in this country that abortion was the beginning of a slippery slope. Of denigration of human life that would eventually lead to euthanasia. We're seeing that. And such things as physician-assisted suicides. We see that. Point number two. Not only is it created by God. Life is sacred. Why? Because it's protected by God. Ever say protected. Job 10, 12 says you gave me what? Who's Job talking to? He's talking to God. You, God, gave me life and showed me your unfailing love. My life was preserved by your care. 
Psalm 91.11, for he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. Lori Anderson was a missionary to the head-shrinking, true enough, Kandoshi Chapra Indians of Peru, and she was looking for a quiet place to have her Bible time and her prayer. So she went down by the river, read her Bible, and she closed her eyes and began to pray, unaware that a giant anaconda was on her way. With her eyes closed deep in prayer, the anaconda struck. And it struck again, and it wrapped its coils around her. She screaming in pain, terrified. The snake reared back and ready to give its death blow. For some unknown reason, anaconda's never known to do this, released her, released its prey, and swam off. She got back to the village, went to the hut, got, was being treated, and a witch doctor from a nearby village came running in, looking with his... Uh, her eyes this big and wondering. She said, I don't know how you're alive. So Lori Anderson said, what are you talking about? She said, well, my son-in-law is a, is a uh, witch doctor too. And he prayed this morning that the great spirit of the anaconda would kill you. And Lori Anderson said, except the protection of God, it would have worked. I want to tell you when the witch doctors try to put it on you. When the devil tries to come and get you. The good Lord watches over us, amen? And what the devil tries to do, God watches over us. Man, I'm going to preach to somebody here in just a minute. I want to tell you, I wonder how many booby traps the devil's tried to set that he's lost out on. I wonder how many car accidents we've been avoided because some slow guy in front of us that we wanted to ram with our car because we were in a hurry. And little did we know, God was sparing us from a devil's trap. Man, I'm preaching to somebody. When the devil thinks he's got you, when the enemy tries to attack, when he comes against you with all these problems and spiritual snakes and demons try to come, the good Lord watches over us. Here's a couple of scriptures I pray over my family every day. Zechariah 2.5. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her. I will be the glory in her midst. Man, just pray, God, be a wall of fire around us. Hallelujah. Psalm 125.2. Just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forever. Oh, God, surround us, God. Cover us in the blood of Jesus. Watch over us, God. We're not smart enough to see the attacks and the traps of the devil, but God is. And finally, point number three, why is life sacred? Life is sacred. Listen, I'm going to park it right here, the rest of the message, because it is valued by God. Isaiah 49, 16, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Isn't it interesting that Jesus took nails through his hands? Yet God says he's imprinted your name on the palms of his hands. I imagine when Jesus was saying why, as he looked over and saw a nail go through, he said, oh, I, I remember now. Anna, Haley, Pete, Tracy, Karen, Dallas, Mindy, Jim. Oh, I remember Todd. Jessica, Jerry, Sylvia, I remember why I got to do this now. You are of such value that he died for you. In Psalm 139, if you still have your Bibles open, verse 13 says, He 
created your inmost being, the foundation of your being. That first part of the fetus that is, that is knit together. The word knit, in fact, means knit, weave. Think crochet. Listen, God didn't just throw you together. He didn't just spit on some dirt, say, what up? There you go. No, he took out his divine crocheting tools. And he began to knit exactly what you would be like, your DNA, every fiber of who you are. He goes on in verse 14 and says, you are fearfully. Fearfully is better understood as reverence or with awe. You are made with reverence and awe. He said, and you were wonderfully made. That means to be different, striking, remarkable, outside the power of human comprehension. His works are wonderful, marvelous, and that's every human being. God knit, he crocheted every fiber of your tendons, your muscles, who you are and your personality, everything about you. Quit looking down on yourself. Don't look in the mirror and say, I wished I was like so-and-so, or I wished I didn't have this part of me, or I wish this, I wish that. Because God perfectly knit you together, somebody say, man. Poke your neighbor and say, you better recognize. No, you need to say it like you mean. You better recognize. Because God knit me together. Are you hearing me? Young lady, the next time that boy tries to tell you something that ain't right, you say, hey, you better recognize because God knit me together and I got the whole thing going on here. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Look, don't look in the mirror and say, oh, you old baldy. No, I look in the mirror and I say, you know what? You got a good looking head, boy. God did a good job on your head. See, y'all, y'all ain't got a good-looking head like me. That's why he put hair on yours. But mine, man, I'm looking good. Yeah. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Look, it gets even deeper. Verse 15. He said, my frame was not hidden from you. You saw it. He said, you are woven together. You are curiously wrought. You know what that means? Embroidered. He knit you together like a crochet would, and he embroidered your life, who you are, every fiber. He took time to create you and make you. Are you seeing this? It's the idea of weaving colors on a cloth by a needle, like weaving a carpet. And he said, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this person real dark skin, or this person real light skin, or this person a middle color skin, or I'm going to give this person this, that, the other. And he just thought, you know, this is the way I want you to be. The reference here is to the various and complicated tissues of the human frame. The tendons, the nerves, the veins, the arteries, the muscles, the, the personality, who you are as a person. As if they had been woven or as if they appear to be curiously interweaved in perfection. And then he goes on in verse 16, and he says, All my days were ordained before one of them came to be. God laid out like an architect, and he said, This is how this house is going to be. He laid out like an architect, and he said, This is how Mindy Pendleton is going to be. This is how Tanya Mills is going to be. Now listen, if he intricately... Oh, you need to hear this, Tanya. If he intricately knitted you and embroidered every part of your being together. And guess what? He knows just how to fix you. 
Not only does he know how to fix us and heal us, he paid the price with 39 stripes on his body so that we could be healed. I want to tell somebody, there is no problem the doctor can lay on you that God doesn't know exactly what's wrong. The next time the doctor says, we can't figure it out, say, well, I know my God can. And I know my God will. And I know he's already paid the price. And by his stripes, I'm already healed. Woo! Is anybody hearing me today? You say, I, I just don't know about this. Babies, and you know that. I know they're alive when they come out of the womb, but not in the womb. Oh, oh let's see what God has to say. Jeremiah 1.5, you ready? Before I formed you, made you, knitted you together in the womb, God said, Jeremiah, I knew you. I knew you before I connected your daddy's sperm and your mama's egg. Folks, that's life. If God can know you, that's life. Before you were born, he said, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Whew. I didn't know it when I was in my rebellious, crazy teenage years. But when I was running, God just smiling, goes, you boy, you don't even know. I appointed you to pastor a church for me. And I'm fixing to jerk a knot in you. You just don't even know. And he looked over and he said, Todd Dave, he said, you may have been, oh, when you did your thing, you don't even know. I Man, I've appointed you to be an elder. I've appointed you to do outwards. I've appointed you to be a missionary in a dark place. I have had a plan for your life. You just thought you were running from God. I want to tell you, you may think you're running from God. You may think you're on your way doing what you think. You don't even realize God's got such a plan for you. He had it all mapped out. And I'm telling you, it's just this quick before... Whew, you come reeling back in. Somebody say amen. I'm having fun here now. Luke 144, watch this. As soon as the sound of your greeting, this is Elizabeth talking to Mary, reached my ears. Watch this. The baby, not the fetus, not the blob that's not a baby, in my womb, leap for joy. Wait a minute. I thought it wasn't a baby till it came out. Right there, if that baby can have joy in the womb, and that baby can leap in the womb, then it is a baby. It is a baby by God, and it belongs to God, and it's valued by God. I'll go deeper. You want me to go deeper? I'm glad you do. Well, Luke 1, 15. For he will be great. Speaking of John the Baptist, watch this. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He, will ne he is to never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will, watch this, be filled with the Holy Spirit, even before he's born. God said, I'm going to show you how babies in the womb are full of life. I'm going to let John the Baptist leap for joy. And oh, by the way, I'm going to fill him with the Holy Spirit before he takes his first breath of air. Somebody say amen. Somebody say it's a baby. Watch this now. Let me finish this message with this portion. Because this is where, this is the dangerous slope we are on as a society, not just in America, but the world. I need you to hear what I'm going to say for the next few moments and listen in. I want you to, I want you to sit up. I want you to glue right in because I'm going, to, I'm going to show you where God's taking this. Criminal behavior is nothing new, right? From the time Cain took a, a they believe, a stone and crushed Abel's head, the first murder ever, 
Until now, there's been murders. I, I mean, we are familiar with the vicious of our history. From the Old West villains like Jesse James, whose actually last name is Howard, my dad swears up and down that he's actually a distant relative of ours. I don't know if I'm claiming that, but anyways, so who knows? But watch it. I'll get my pea shooter out. Billy the Kid, to modern-day monsters like Charles Manson, Ted Bundy, the Zodiac Killer, crazy cannibals like Jeffrey Dahmer, nutcases like Osama bin Laden, Stalin, Hitler, you name it. We're, we're familiar with the, the monsters of the world, okay? As, have, as horrific as of acts as these people have committed, they did not represent, listen closely, a change in the culture of society. They were an aberration from the culture. They were hated by the culture, punished by the culture, uh, feared by it. They were considered sociopaths, but overall culture was not. But a chilling new development has crept into America and the world. Contrast those people with Nazi Germany in the 1940s. In World War II, Germany was a sociopathic state. It was a culture of murder. They were a society of sociopaths. They were killers. Hitler successfully brainwashed. Listen, I want you to listen closely because I'm going to tie this all in here right at the end here. Hitler successfully brainwashed Germany into consciousless mass murder, killing those it considered less than human. Jews, of course, headed the list, but there are plenty others, gypsies, the mentally retarded, those whom the Nazis considered social and political enemies, such as communists, homosexuals, and ministers of the gospel. Basically, if you didn't agree with them and looked like they wanted you, Luke, you were out. They devalued you and killed you. The greater horror, however, was that it was the official government policy, not the actions of a crazed, mad gunman with a gun in his hand shooting people at Walmart. It was mass murder, listen, as national loyalty and patriotism never stopped by the culture. The commandants of the SS murder squads and the guards at concentration camps were not sent to prison, where they were not hung, they were given medals as if they had done something virtuous. There is no such thing as a culture without virtue. Every culture has qualities that it considers virtuous. And it praises those people who act consistent with those virtues. A society does not become sociopathic because it has no virtues. It becomes sociopathic because those virtues change. So when courage is redefined as the ability to murder the weak and the defenseless without hesitation. The culture produced is sociopathic by definition. This is where abortion has led the world. We are now a sociopathic world. When they will pass a law one year before COVID started that you can do a partial birth abortion, that you can actually let a baby be born, decide you don't want it, and kill that baby that's breathing air and screaming, and the people cheer and applaud, that is a sociopathic culture that is no different than Nazi Germany. I'm going to keep going. One rabbi was asked if he believed in the absolute value of human life, and he said, no, 
I believe in the quality of life. That's the very argument that Nazi judges used in the forced sterilization of the mentally retarded and the extermination of the Jews. No different. The great truth of absolute sacredness of life by God, whether it lacks apparent quality or appears to be unproductive or any other variable you want to tie to it, is what keeps a culture or a subculture from descending into sociopathy. Listen, this is dangerous. If they will kill 1.65 billion babies and applaud it, they will kill 1.65 billion of you and applaud it as well. There's no difference. If life, if any life, listen, is not sacred, then murder quickly becomes a virtue. Watch this. You remember the game Knockout? You remember the young thugs would come? Some poor guy or some poor old lady or some old man. It was always, never anybody that could fight. It was always a woman or somebody. And they're in a gang of people because, you know, they don't ever do it by themselves. And they unannounced, unprovoked, they just knock somebody out. Remember they did that a few years ago? It was everywhere. People getting off subways, buses, they just knock them out. And they would laugh and think it was funny. It was, it was a way for a member of the pack, watch this, to express a virtue of violent disregard for another person. It was quintessential sociopathy. Listen, violent, remorseless, conscienceless, and lacking the ability to see the value of someone else. That is where abortions have led society today. One teenage girl, when they did the knockout game, they actually killed a homeless person. She said, well, it was a game that got out of control and never mentioned the loss of life. Because we've desensitized society to life now. The sociopathic subculture, the knockout game participants, was inevitable. And folks, it's not the end of horrors, it's just the beginning. When unborn babies mean nothing, then who does? Are you hearing me? Soon the homeless, the poor, the weak, the elderly, the defenseless mean nothing. Take them out. We're the Carthaginians now. Let's, let's, let's elevate animals in the value of an animal, but let's devalue people and let's just take them all out. Folks, we can't play God. Will the knockout game give way to the murder game? Knockout game participants are sociopathic Nazis that are the result of a culture losing the concept and the value of life. After the murder of a young girl in high school, the principal made the statement, it was a tragedy, listen, for a promising and lovely girl to be killed so senselessly. And it sounds great, but the principal missed the whole point entirely. Listen, the statement is, is off totally. Why? Would it have been less tragic if that child had been slow, crippled, mentally retarded, or anything else? Listen, it was a tragedy not because the young lady had a promising, uh, lovely life ahead of her. It was a tragedy because she was a person. Take the adjectives out. If God gave us breath and gave us life, not only does God value it, protect it, and create it, we are to value it and protect it. Amen? Somebody say amen. Are we about the kingdom of God? So if the unborn are just fetuses, then why aren't the elderly just targets? 
That's the line of thinking that this goes down. At the end of that line of thought, folks, are Nazis in the streets. Listen, our hope is to guard the value of every life. I said every life. Born, unborn, feeble, sick, disagreeable, inconvenient, or unproductive. Life is what the Nazis devalued. Life is what God values. Is this okay today? Y'all looking at me like I'm preaching the Quran. Do we still want what the Bible has to say? They made, they made murder the business of government. Is that any worse than making murder a game? The issue, listen, in closing, is not just anti-abortion or anti-anything. Not really. It is the value and the sacredness of life. All life. 